Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. And welcome to your April 10th edition, Friday, April 10th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you have not left us a rating and review, I'd love it if you did. For some reason, uh, that uh, they tell me that's important. Also, uh, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. We are charting on, despite the fact that the NHL has not played, or the Flyers have not played a game now in 30 days. Unbelievable. The last game they played was on March 10th against the Boston Bruins. The first game canceled was March 12th against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And uh, we still don't have a timeline for a return. And no word when we will even get a timeline for a return for the NHL. Although we do have some news regarding a possible scenario for a said return of the NHL. According to TSN and uh, at uh, Frank Tire Valley, uh, who reports for TSN, the NHL, one of the things that they are considering and how they determine the final standings for the uh, 2020 playoffs would be by rolling the game, by rolling the schedule back to 68 games played. They go, well, why 68 games? That's an arbitrary number. Well, the least amount of games any NHL team has played is 68, some upwards of 71. Flyers have played 69, as have the Caps who are in first place. So the Flyers... Uh, would lose one game, that's the loss, uh, their first 68 games of this season would be what would count towards them getting into the playoffs and seeding and otherwise. Um, the other scenario would be a points percentage system. The odd part about that is that if you did a points percentage system in the NHL and you or you did a 68-game rollback, the same exact 16 teams would be in the 2020 NHL postseason. But it would affect, however how they were seeded. So if you went by a points percentage, uh, the Washington Capitals would be the number one seed in the Metropolitan Division, and they would take on the Carolina Hurricanes in the first round. The Flyers would be the two seed in the Metro, and they would take on the Pittsburgh Penguins and would have home ice advantage. If there is such a thing as home ice, whenever they come back, it may be a neutral location. It may be uh, a neutral location with no fans. Uh, we don't know what those scenarios are going to be. Time will tell. Boston would take on the Islanders, and Tampa Bay would take on Toronto in the Eastern Conference. However, if the NHL did do a rollback to 68 games played, the Flyers would be the number one seed in the Eastern Conference and would take on Carolina. Washington would take on Pittsburgh, Washington having the home ice advantage, and that would be a bludgeoning war between those two teams. Boston would take on the Islanders, and Tampa Bay would still take on Toronto. So Toronto avoids um Boston in the first round, who they've had no success against in the last bunch of years. Uh, Tampa Bay and Toronto would be a very interesting first round. Boston and the Islanders, I don't think it would be very interesting. I think Boston would roll that series. But you never know. Islanders last year swept the Penguins in round number one, then went on to round number two and got swept by Carolina. So you never know what can happen in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And then Washington and Pittsburgh, we all know that would be a great series. And then the Flyers would take on Carolina in round number one, although they would get both of their goalies back presumably healthy, that being James Reimer or Peter Morazic. Um, I don't know if any of these scenarios are possible. We don't know what the timeline is going to be for a Stanley Cup playoffs. It's going to be even more truncated than 16 teams. Here's the good news. No matter what scenario they come up with for a Stanley Cup playoff, and depending how much time is available, the Flyers being a number two seed at the current moment in the Eastern Conference, they're definitely getting in no matter what the, the scenario is. The question is, is there even a scenario where it does happen? It all depends on the COVID-19 pandemic and how this plays out. But uh, nonetheless, 
Flyers in good position should they have an NHL postseason. And we'll see if that does indeed happen. Only time will tell. And the science will certainly determine that. Very big episode here for you on this Friday uh, as we go 30 days without NHL hockey. First and foremost, going to talk to Carter Hart. Had a chance to catch up with the Flyers goaltender from his home back in Sherwood Park, Alberta. Talk to him momentarily. And also, player profiles continue. And we'll do the player profile of Michael Raffle. And uh, Michael Raffle is back in Austria right now. We heard from Scott Lawton and a couple other Flyer players that for some reason he did shave his head. Uh, so <laughs> we'll get to the player profile of Michael Raffle. And we have a special guest uh, joining us to break down the season for Michael Raffle. Decided to talk to Mike Yo, Flyers assistant coach, runs the p- uh, penalty kill as well. One of the huge areas of improvement for the Flyers this past season has been the penalty kill. And Michael Raffle, a big part of that as well. So we'll do the player profile of Michael Raffle with Mike Yo. But right now, let's get to my conversation with Flyers goaltender Carter Hart. Had a chance to catch up with him on Thursday, and here's the conversation. And joining us right now on Flyers Daily, we did his player profile just a couple of days ago, but he joins us now, and it is Carter Hart. Carter, how you handling the, the pause, and how you dealing with the pandemic back home in Sherwood Park, Alberta? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, not as bad here as what I've been seeing down in the States and uh, on the East Coast there, but um, yeah, everything's on lockdown as well here, so um, not much going on. Can't really leave the house too much. Um, I mean, we're just we're all just have to do our part and stay inside. And um, but I mean, I, I got all my equipment I need to work out here, so um, that's that's been uh, keeping me busy. It's tough though. The the one piece of equipment you'd love to put on right now is the gear. And to just stop after, you know, going 100 miles an hour in a regular season and building your way towards the playoffs to all of a sudden, boom, everybody's got stopped playing. You can't get to the rink. It's probably one of the longest periods of time that you haven't been at a rink at this time of year in many years of your life. What's that part like to kind of just stop and not really knowing what the next steps are for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it sucks what's going on right now, but I mean, there's bigger things in hockey that are going on in the world so uh, people's safety and health uh, prioritizes over uh, sports right now and um, that's that's the biggest thing right now is we just people need to stay healthy and stay inside to beat this and um, yeah it's definitely we're not playing hockey right now but um, hopefully uh, one day sooner than later here we'll get back at it here soon. One of the things that's always stuck out to me is, is your mental game and your work with John Stevens. You and I have talked about it several times uh, over the last couple of years. Um, and the one saying that always uh, gets reiterated from John Stevens is control the controllable. And it's something that you really live by, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I mean, you just have to control your control here. Like um, it's, this is, like I said, bigger than hockey. And um, these are things that everybody's in the same boat. Um, so I think when we do come back, uh, we're all going to be in the same boat and we all just have to, uh, once we do come back, just slowly get back to uh, living our uh, normal lives. And get get back into that routine. So how are you handling the pause um, from a mental standpoint? Are you kind of unplugging from the game? Are you keeping your same in-season routines, your off-ice stuff that you do, whether it's like, I know we talk about contra- concentration grids a lot and those mental things that you do. Are you, are you letting your bra- brain breathe a bit or are you kind of still staying in that mode? Uh, I'm kind of letting it breathe a little bit, take a break, but um, doing everything I can to stay in shape still. Um, playing some video games with the guys online um, and playing some guitar. So I got a lot of time to get better at that. Um, 
And I actually just started a book here that our uh, sports psychologist in Philly gave us or gave me. Uh, it's called, oh, where is it here? I got starting. Okay, I got it here. I can't find it. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, I was going to start it. I'm not a big reader. And I was like, you know what? I got to start this book here. It seems, looks pretty interesting. Uh, are, do, you uh, like, do you like to read? Yeah, I can't find it. <laughs> uh, I'm not a huge reader. Um, but I think with this break going on, I think it's something that uh, I'm going to get into and uh, something that may, can maybe uh, ease my mind a little bit um, and find something to keep me occupied. And, and maybe learn something along the way. I'm one of those guys that, like Carter, you'll never hear me say the book was better than the movie because I just I have a hard time concentrating reading. But, um, you know, you do the concentration. Well, I'm grades. a huge visual, visual learner, like huge visual guy. Okay. So, and, and like vision and hearing or, you know, when you were in school and stuff, what, was it better for you to kind of like pay attention in class rather than take notes in a way? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it wasn't a huge, like, uh, look at the notes, study the notes kind of thing. Like I needed like pictures or like diagrams. Like that was the easiest way for me to remember. And like when I would go on to test or whatever, like that was kind of a trigger for me. Like, remembering those pictures and diagrams. Yeah. Um, any, any cold showers that you're taking right now? I know that you uh, are a guy that has subscribed to the no. <laughs> all warm right now. Yeah. So, I mean, when I'm taking those cold showers, that's kind of uh, in season when, especially when we're playing the one o'clock, one o'clock games. Uh, as soon as I wake up in the morning, I take a cold shower to wake me up. Um, and then when I actually have trouble falling asleep, that's something that I'll do. Uh, if I'm a little bit wound up, like after a game, uh, cool, just take cool a body down. shower, cold shower. Yeah. Um, I, I know you're a guy that's, uh, you're really cerebral, um, especially for a 21 year old goaltender in the NHL, uh, meditation is something, some visualization. Are you doing any of that kind of stuff or is that part of letting your brain kind of breathe a little bit right now and, and staying away from that? Um, actually I, I was doing it for the first week I was home because, um, for some reason I couldn't fall asleep for like my first, first week back home here just having trouble falling asleep. So I got back to uh, doing the body scans before bed to help relax me and kind of too much with the things that were going on in the world and um, all the uncertainty. So I just kind of need to get back to that. Are you following the news closely or, or do you just check in on it once a while, once in a while, because it can be overwhelming seeing everything that's going on in the world. And, and you alluded to it. This is bigger than hockey. Um, is this something that you follow closely or do you kind of just check in and want to stay educated, but not let it absorb you? Yeah. I mean, you don't want to get, let it control you and take over your life. Uh, but I mean, I, I've been checking in every once in a while here to see what's going on. And I mean, uh, all the stuff that's going on too at the PA and the NHL and deciding the future and, um, our player rep JVR has done a good job of informing all of us together what's going on and, um, but I don't want to get too caught up in all the media. Like I've been hearing so many things about this whole coronavirus that um, you don't really know what's true and what isn't. Yeah. Uh, Carter, so you've seen some of the scenarios that have been floated out there for a return for the game when it's appropriate, when the pandemic is under control. And some of them have the you know season picking up or the playoffs picking up as late as July and into August and a very shortened off season next year. Um, a goalie's off season is different than maybe regular players. And, you know, you go through a lot of different things and maybe testing out new gear and 
working on certain elements of your game. Uh, have you thought about that with a shortened off season? Maybe like for you, if that is to, to come to pass. Uh, I haven't really thought about that yet. Like, I mean, right now I'm just trying to. I mean, if this is this might be our off season, to be honest. Um, if we're not going to be starting up till July again, um, and I mean, this could be kind of like a our off season. Um, like that's kind of the way I'm approaching it right now. Uh, I've started my off season training program, so uh, with my trainer back here. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's just kind of the approach that I'm having for your off season. When do you generally get back on the ice and start to look at pucks? Do you get back out, look, work on some technical skills first in like June and then get to pucks in in early July? What's, what's been kind of what you've done in the past? Yeah. So I mean, last year, uh, I got home at the end of May from world championships and I took all of June and then half of July off. And then I started to get back on the ice. Um, and then just, when you get back on, you just kind of slowly, gradually start with the, or start with the foundation principles of your game and, um, takes you like maybe a couple 20 minutes, a couple of drills. And first, the first step out on the ice when you've, when you've been off for about a month and a half, two months, it's feels like you feel like a fish out of water. And then, but then once you start skiing around, you get back to doing your normal movements and cruise patterns and you start feeling the puck and, uh, you start feeling, uh, normal again. Yeah. I mean, for goaltenders, it's a rhythm position to feel really comfortable. Um, if you guys are to come back and, and jump right out of uh, this pause, have a mini training camp or whatever it might be and jump right into the Stanley cup playoffs for what would be your first playoff appearance. How do you handle that level of uh, change? I know everybody's going to go through the same thing. So it's an even playing field in that matter. Uh, but how do you, how do you kind of jump into what is do or die right away mentally and physically? Um, I mean, you heard so many scenarios of what's going on with the playoffs or if it's going to happen and uh, what, what it may look like. Um, so we don't really know what exactly is going to happen, but once we do find that out, then um, we all just have to stay ready and stay prepared and, and find a way to get ready for whatever scenario uh, we're faced with. I mean, that's our job as professional athletes. Uh, is no matter what situation we're, th- we're thrown into or thrown at, um, we have to find a way to uh, do our job. Carter, when you got injured earlier this year, you had that uh, lower core injury and you were out a couple weeks. And, and I found it really interesting because when you came back from that, you picked up right where you left off, maybe even played a little bit better than prior to the injury. A lot of times for a goalie dealing with a core issue and coming back from an injury, it's a little bit of a tough, tough push when you get right back into it. You were able to get right back and, and really have a lot of success. What do you attribute that to? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, we were just playing a lot of great hockey as a group. Um, things were gelling really good. The boys were rolling. Our offense was uh, on fire. And um, I think everybody was just doing their own job. Uh, everybody has a role on our team. And everybody, I think, was just embracing that role and, and really buying in. So when you look at it right now and, you know, you want this season to come back, you guys second spot in the Metro, get a nine-game winning streak uh, heading into the pause after the one loss against Boston was your last game. But um, you guys feel like there's unfinished business, don't you? Uh, for sure. I mean, with how things are going for us, we were playing really well. And then to have it cut out like that definitely sucks. But, um, I mean, hopefully – things start to get better here in the world and people start to get healthy and this 
pandemic starts to go away and um, then we can get back to uh, doing the thing we love and, and uh, playing hockey. Last question for you. Uh, Carter, what would it be like to play NHL playoff games with no crowd? It'd be, it's, I always like kind of equate it to like being at the uh, shore in the wintertime. <laughs> that would be pretty weird. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that maybe a reality. Like a scrimmage. <laughs> that, it would feel that way, wouldn't it? it, it yeah, like you got no fans. <laughs> you got, uh, that would be pretty weird going out for warm-ups with the tunes blasting, but there's nobody there. <laughs> yeah, well, that may be what it takes to, to at least get it started uh, for you guys to get back out there on the ice. And I know you're out back home right now and uh, trying to pass the time. And I've asked everybody that I've talked to from your team, have you watched Tiger King? Uh, I've watched a little bit of it. My dad was watching it. Um, I, I watched like an episode. It uh, seemed pretty it? crazy, but I wasn't really into it. No. <laughs> and did you see the picture of Michael Raffle with the shaved head? Uh, yes, I did. <laughs> Scott Lawton said he looks better. Yeah. Is that true? Uh, I don't know. I kind of liked Raff's hair before, but don't tell him I said that. Okay. Hey, Carter, uh, best of luck to you. Stay healthy out there in Sherwood Park. And uh, hopefully we get the game back on the ice to get this pandemic under control and get you guys back on the ice and get you playing some playoff hockey. I know that's what you want, everybody wants, and the world wants right now. So thanks for doing this, and we appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Great to catch up with the young flyer goaltender. What a tremendous season he was having. Uh, some early struggles on the road, but he evened that out. And his numbers, 914 save percentage this year in total, 915 last year in 31 games. Played Just played much more than that this year and as a 914, including those early struggles that have really affected his numbers. And really since coming back from that injury that we, we talked about with the lower core injury, he has been absolutely sensational. And uh, it, it was just poised and ready to lead the Flyers into the playoffs and get his first taste of Stanley Cup playoff action. And uh, we'll see if he's able to do that and check that box as part of this 2019-20 season uh, from Carter Hart. Player profiles continue. Our player profile now of uh, Michael Raffle, a guy that's moved up and down the lineup, plays in the top six, plays in the bottom six, plays on the third line, plays on the fourth line, plays on the second line, does a lot of penalty killing, real versatile player, kind of a Swiss Army Knife player, if you will. Michael Raffle gives you a lot of options and a lot of different uh, roles for this team, not to mention what he provides off the ice as well. So I caught up with Flyers assistant coach Mike Yo to get all the details on Michael Raffle and to, to kind of to describe his worth to this Flyers team, both on and off the ice. Here's my conversation with Mike Yo. Very happy to have Mike Yo join us right now on Flyers Daily. First and foremost, Mike, how you making out during the pause, and how you dealing with this pandemic uh, on a personal level? Well, I would uh, I would say I'm probably similar to to almost everybody out there right now. Is uh, I'm extremely bored and uh, <laughs> feel a little bit cooped up. Uh, you know, doing everything we can to, to take part in the social distancing and and try to to end this as quick as possible but uh can't say it hasn't been a bit of a struggle definitely uh getting a little bit antsy here how's it been uh to try and stay sane and you know it's you guys are as coaches are used to that rigid lifestyle of of the nhl season and probably even just in normal circumstances when the season ends it takes you a little while to reacclimate to to being almost semi-normal but to have this kind of, you know, go from going 100 miles an hour to slam on the brakes, take off the skates, put away the gear, and not know when you're coming back is a difficult thing uh, for a lot of us to deal with. How's it been for you to kind of go into this mode of, okay, it's just wait and see at this point? Yeah, we're, we're uh, like you said, we, we, you're used to going 100 miles an hour. You're used to always having something to do, somewhere to go. 
um, you know, a new team to prepare for, a, a, you know, a, a new game to to evaluate, to look over, and then all of a sudden everything just comes to a grinding halt. So um, doing all right, trying to make the most of it, obviously spending some good uh, family time here. I, I think my wife is probably the one that's going a little bit more crazy looking at me <laughs> saying, when are you going to get back out on the road? Because <laughs> this, is, this is more time that we've spent together in a long time. But uh um, but, uh, you know, what? We're, we're, we're just trying to make the most of it. It's, uh, you know, when you, when you really look at it and you sit back and you think like the entire world, this is, this is going on for right now. Um, you know, we try not to complain too much of it and, and, uh, and just enjoy this extra time with the family. Yeah. You, you tend to gain a little bit of perspective when this is going on and, you know, just how, you know, sports are so important to all of us. And, you know, you've been in this game for a really long time as a coach since 2000, um, to be in it that long and kind of wonder, you know, when this is going to end and, and bring people the joy because sports is a big escape for people a lot of times. And people are really itching for not only hockey to get back, but sports in general. You finding that uh, not having sports is, is a difficult element of distraction for you? Well, yeah, on the, you know, just the professional side of it, that's, that's my livelihood. That's what I do. And, and it's, that's my passion. So when you don't have a chance to to go to the rank, to coach, to, to, to win hockey games that's that part's difficult um it's obviously a big change in lifestyle but but not just that i mean you you, you sit around at night you 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 watch hockey you put hockey games on you you watch other sports um and you know you get up in the morning you 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 watch the highlights you read the news whatever it is there's a big void there no question and uh and i know a lot of other people are feeling it because i get a an awful lot of calls and texts asking me what i know and unfortunately i don't have a whole lot of answers for anybody right now yeah, that's the thing that's that's weird is nobody knows right now. We know uh, through some reports and, you know, Commissioner Gary Bettman speaking and Bill Daly, uh, the deputy commissioner, that they're going to do everything they can to culminate this season. Nobody wants to go through 70 games, 85, 90% of a season and not crown a Stanley Cup winner. How important do you think it is for players, particularly from the Flyers, because they've made a lot of huge steps forward this year to get a chance to get into these playoffs and if they do happen to get in and, and see what you can do? Well, I would say that, yes, like from an organizational standpoint, from us as a coaching staff, I think that, you know, during the course of the year, our focus and our mindset was, you know, this group, this is a group we want to get them into the playoffs. And that would be a very important step for, for our team. And, and I think that, you know, what we saw through this, especially the second half of the season, and when we really started to get on a roll and really started to find our game, that focus you know, started to shift a little bit where all of a sudden we were thinking of instead of just getting into the playoffs and, and what an important step that could be for us for the future. And our, you know, our, 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 our goal of winning the Stanley cup and bringing a Stanley cup to the city of Philadelphia was all of a sudden, maybe we're a little bit closer than what we realized. And, and we were just all very excited to get into the playoffs, uh, to start uh, the preparations to, to figure out who you're going to play and then just that excitement was building of, you know, we've got a legitimate shot at that this year. And uh, I know for sure that the players had that feeling as well uh, as the coaching staff and, and, and management. And, uh, and all of a sudden, everything just comes to, without warning, everything just comes to really a grinding halt. Um, and, and all of a sudden, we're all sitting around left wondering if, if we're going to get a chance to, uh, to, to continue this pursuit of, of, of something that the guys have worked so extremely hard for this year. Uh, Mike, you were uh, an assistant coach back in 04 when the loss season happened. You were a head coach uh, in 2012-13 when the truncated 48-game season happened. 
Uh, Elaine Vigneault was coaching at that time, uh, Michelle Terrian as well. What can you take from uh, maybe those two situations if the, if the season is to resume, whether that's just to jump into the playoffs or they find a way to finish this regular season pending a timeline? But can you take something from those situations and apply it to this, or is this just so, so different that it's, nothing's really applicable? Oh, I, I definitely think that, uh, you know, our experience is going to be very helpful coming out of this. Uh, you know, we've all dealt with those situations and uh, I would probably, for me, it'd probably be a little bit more similar to uh, the last lockout we had with the shortened season. Um, because what I would expect is a training camp format to be very similar to that in that uh, they're going to give you some time, but obviously not, not a full training camp. Um, so an abbreviated training camp, um, the last, you learn from that the plans that we had from that uh, you know we don't know what we're going to face so it's not like your ne- you know your, your usual situation where you head into training camp you know how many practices you have how many exhibition games you have we're not going to know until all of a sudden it hits us and uh, and I think our experience in dealing with these in the past uh, will help help us to to uh, to put the right plan in place to make sure that uh, that you know, when they drop the puck, whether it's uh, for the remainder of, of the regular season or if it's going right into the playoffs, that our group's going to be ready. What's the danger in uh, going right back and, and starting a playoff, whether that's a 16-team field or we've heard about a 24-team field where a few of those teams play their way into the top eight and then you guys go from there. But, you know, jumping right back in from not playing for X amount of time, we don't know what that is just yet, and jumping into the playoffs. Some teams – are going to come into the playoffs and they're going to be in an advantageous position because um, the experience of their coaching staff like yours has put them in that position and knows how to handle this. And some teams, maybe they thought that had there not been a break in the action could have done some damage and maybe they come out a little slow and that costs you because you don't have time. What's the biggest kind of uh, thing you need to plan for? And if they jump right back into a playoff situation. Yeah, I guess my biggest concerns would be, you know, obviously we're not with the players right now. We don't really have a very good pulse or sense of what they're, you know, what they're doing. Um, and uh, and so obviously that's, that's a concern. Now we've got a group that's very professional, takes very good care of themselves, but still you can't replicate um, the, the game conditioning um, and, and the physical contact and just how fast things are going to happen out there. So uh, first and foremost, I think you would have to worry about injuries if you just step right into it, um, you know, not having right? an opportunity to get up to pace. All the, Yeah, exactly. Things, that, things of that nature that, uh, that, you know, we all know can have such a huge impact uh, in the outcome of a playoff series. You know, one of your top guys goes down, one of your top guys gets hurt. Um, you know, because we haven't had a, a, a real chance to prepare. That would be my biggest concern. The other thing uh, I think that would be a concern is there, there's quite a, a, a possibility of, um, you know, maybe a shortened round. You know, we haven't heard anything. We don't know. But obviously all the, all the scenarios are out there. So if it's an expanded playoff round, then, then quite possibly you're playing a best of three or a best of five. And, um, you know, for me, a best of seven really gives the best she- the best team um, the, the chance to come out on top, uh, you know, sometimes it takes seven games and, and, uh, and to really find out who, who the better team was through the course of that playoff series. You know, you could have in a best of three where you maybe play a team two of the three games and you still lose the, the, the series. So um, it, it'd be, it, it, you know, it, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be, 
something that, that like like we said, you know, a number of times already here on this interview, it's very difficult to uh, to plan for, to prepare for. Um, and that's why I just think you have to have an open mind and, and just try to run through all the scenarios and figure out uh, uh, as much as you can in advance so that when the time comes, you're ready to go. Uh, have, how much communication have you had uh, during this pause with uh, your fellow coaches, Ian LaPerriere, Michelle Terry, and, of course, uh, Elaine Vigneault? You guys, you guys talking daily a couple times yeah. a week? Yeah, not, not a t- whole lot just because there's not much to say. And uh, yeah. uh, I would say it, it revolves a little bit more around text messages and a little bit more around uh, just checking in, making sure everybody's doing well, everybody's family's doing well. Uh, there's really nothing to report right now. And, uh, you know, there's really not a whole lot we can do it doing a couple little side things here um uh, just to keep the mind engaged and do it and you know to take advantage of the time a little bit uh but like i said it's uh there's really not much for us to, to do at this time except to sit around and wonder and and uh and wait and watch tiger king right oh yeah we will crush through the, that certain that bizarre very bizarre series in, in a matter of time so if there's anything that made me feel a little bit better about myself, it was watching that series. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I got to find, got to find something else now to, 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 to binge watch. Yeah. I think I watched all of Netflix. I think I came to the end. It's like finding the end of the internet. I found the end of Netflix. In this time. <laughs> it's pretty wild. Yeah. I, I don't think you're, I don't think you're alone there. I don't think you're alone. Uh, one of the things uh, Mike, when, when this, your coaching staff and, you know, to have three, guys that have been head coaches on the staff, the dream team of it. What have you learned so far in your time here in Philadelphia and from really working with Michelle Tarion and uh, Aline Vigneault and, you know, coming into this season, you know, a lot of times you you can learn a lot from the guys that you work with and, and what they've done and and open your, your eyes to, to new ways of doing things. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard for me to, you know, I would, I would need to sit down and put a list together of all the things I've learned this year um, you know, whether it's working with AV and the way that he, he operates the, the bench, manages the room, manages us as a staff, um, you know, his preparation, his, his, uh, the, the time that he spends, um, you know, on the schedule and, and just making sure uh, that he's giving the players uh, the best opportunity to go out and play at their best. Uh, these are things that I've taken every day. You know, you sit in the, the coach's office with, uh, with Lappy, with AV, with Michelle Terry and with Kim. Uh, and you, you learn something every day because we've all, we've all had, you know, moderate amounts of success, uh, you know, certain things that have worked well for us. Uh, and sometimes you kind of get hung up on those ideas. And, and even though they've kind of worked, uh, you you may not give an opportunity uh, to really push to to find another level, and then all of a sudden somebody else comes in with a new idea, and you see how that can can take your game from from one level to another. Those are the things that I really enjoy right now. It's it's challenging your own ideas, things that that you've had some success with, and opening up your mind to some things that can really um, push you to another level. That's one thing that I enjoy on a daily basis with this group. Yeah, so the, the ever-changing evolution of how you connect with players and all those things. Uh, Mike, we're doing player profiles, and this episode is on Michael Raffle. And boy, uh, there's so much I love about Michael Raffle on and off the ice. Um, his ability to play up and down your lineup um, over the years that he's been here. He's been, scored 20 goals in his second year in the NHL as an undrafted player. Uh, he helps you on the penalty kill. And like I said, he can move up and down that lineup. But the other thing that he can do as well, 
is he can lighten a room with his personality. First of all, talk about Michael Raffle, uh, the human being off the ice, and then Michael Raffle as the player and, you know, kind of as a Swiss army knife or an Austrian army knife, if you will, what he does for you guys on the ice. Yeah, you know what? It's a long season, and well, it was a little shorter this year. But typically, and, and even this year, when you're going through the grind of it, you you, you wake up day after day, and it's, practice is hard, travels hard, the games are hard, and you need those types of personalities to to, to get you excited to come to the rink, to to know that you're going to have a good time, uh, to keep things loose. He is he is in the true sense of the word a character and and a guy that, that I've really really enjoyed working with. Um, you know, keeps things loose, keeps things light, um, but at the same time is very professional. You know, that's one thing that I respect. You have guys that can be jokers, guys that can kind of lighten the mood. But when it's time to drop the puck, um, I think we've all seen what a competitor he is. And uh, and for me, you know, he kind of reminds me a little bit of, you know, when we won the cup in Pittsburgh um, and, and he ended up being a future flyer as Max Talbot was was sort of that uh, type of player for us. Didn't get a lot of power play time, but a key player for us in the penalty kill. And uh, and, and given the situation, given the team, um, he could play in different parts of your lineup. Raf for me is like that. You know, he's obviously got some skill. Um, and some uh, some playing ability where you can move them up in the lineup, um, but I think that one thing that that all successful teams have is they've got depth and they've got role players and uh, and and they value those role players and and Raf has has given us some great games up in the top two lines and and, and playing with guys like G or playing with guys like Coots, uh, but at the same time his value doesn't drop if he moves to a third or fourth line role because he finds a way to impact games, whether it's his physicality, whether it's his, uh, his forechecking and, and the momentum that he creates for our group. Uh, so for me, those are very valuable players. And you look at Stanley cup winning teams, there are always guys in that third, fourth line role who find a way to impact games, find a way to make a difference. And, and, uh, and he's been one of those guys for us all year. Well, you make, you, that's a great comparison to Talbs because he scored a huge goal for you guys to win those. It's made some really big goals for you guys to, to get all the way there and win the cup back in 09, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's what you're looking and, for. Yeah. You know, we, we have a tendency to put, you know, first line, second line and, and, and sort of, you know, I don't know if that's a way of, of people judging, you know, how effective a player is or how important a player is. For us as a coaching staff, that's not the case. It's a little bit more role based, and uh, and and you know, when it comes down to it, you need you need third, fourth liners that bring momentum. You need guys that can defend and can you you can have confidence to put them on the ice in any situation and know that you're not going to get scored on. Um, but if you really want to be successful, you need to have those guys be able to create offense and uh, and not just kill the clock and and uh, and he fits that bill yeah the one thing mike that i find really interesting there was a game and i'm trying to actually figure i think it was the carolina game where you guys came off that win over washington uh on march 4th and then march 5th you had carolina and i remember talking uh, i think to ian Perrier before the game in our broadcasters meeting and he said you know we're looking at matchups with aho and those kind of things and and lappy said that this is just straight up we're gonna roll them because we played the night before they didn't yeah. And when you can roll your lines like that and you had success against Carolina, it was a big game for them and you win four to one at home. Uh, when you can throw out all of your lines in a game and you have that luxury, that's a big reason why you guys have had the success you've had, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and, and I know as a coaching staff, uh, you know, in particular for AV, 
you know, when you have confidence in those guys and you have confidence that they can play against uh, the, the Jordan Stalls or, or the Ajos, uh, you know, in Carolina or whoever it is the next night, obviously teams have more than one, um, you know, very gifted offensive dangerous line. Uh, it really gives him an advantage in terms of, uh, you know, the way that he can use his matchups, the way that he can put players on the ice in certain situations. Um, you know, maybe it's giving uh, more offensive zone starts to guys like G um, and, and Jake to, to try to create a little more offense where they don't have to be focused on defending all the time um, and maybe take advantage of some matchups that could be there uh, so it, it's certainly a huge advantage uh, you know as a coaching staff when you have guys like that uh, Mike uh, when you look at a guy like uh, Michael Raffle he's great for you on that PK and that PK has been another area of massive improvement for the Flyers uh, having guys uh, on the PK there's a lot of the the success there is predicated on the will to do the right things and the work you put in on the PK what makes Re- Michael Raffle such a good penalty killer for you well, he, he, for me, would be um, arguably our best shot blocker on the penalty kill. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and, and for me, a lot of that comes down to, obviously, you have to know the, the, the lanes to be in. Um, you have to be in the right position. But more than anything, I think it's a willingness, uh, a willingness to sacrifice. And, uh, and of, of a lot of our key blocks this year uh, that I can sit here and think of off, off the top of my head, he's the guy he's the guy going down on one knee he's the guy sacrificing the body uh, not only do you do you obviously give yourself a chance to kill that penalty when a guy is doing that but when the other uh, players are on the bench and and they're watching a player do that sacrifice his body and, and himself um, you know for for something that's really not going to give them a whole lot of attention uh, you know it's not going to show up in the stats a whole lot um, that kind of selflessness really filters through to the rest of the group. Uh, the momentum it creates just in that game, but um, the way that it helps your group uh, uh, buy in and, and, and really become something bigger, uh, that's a huge advantage. So he, he's been outstanding for us on the penalty kill. He's played with a number of different guys. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously you have to have a, a, a level of, of hockey sense and, and, and an understanding of where to be on the ice, where to position your stick. That kind of stuff is important. Um, but you know, not everybody has that, just that desire, that drive to kill that penalty. And it's such a huge moment in the game. Obviously everybody wants to score goals and you get the glory and, and, and you get the notoriety. Um, but that, that moment is absolutely critical in the hockey game. But when you have players that really take pride in that, in that role, uh, the way that Raf does, and that's when you start to have success. Yeah, and those guys are that do those things and, and don't get the glory oftentimes pick up the bench and pick up the room more than anything. Mike, uh, your time in Philadelphia, uh, we're hoping you get back here real soon, as a matter of fact, but your time in Philadelphia, what have you learned about Philadelphia that maybe, you know, being here has, has showed you about this city and, you know, the fans and the people of the city? So oh, I, I absolutely love it. We, my wife and I are just loving it there. Um, you know, we live in a great area, uh, just tons of restaurants. When you're, when you're not at the rink, uh, we're enjoying that aspect of it. Um, the hockey part of it, the fans, the passion, the building, the organization, everything has been, it, it's, it's, it's nothing but first class. And, uh, and so it, it makes it so exciting when you know that you're going to go to the rink and the building's packed and there's a great atmosphere in the rink and people are excited and they're feeling good about the team. Um, you know, that part of it is extremely motivating for us. And, um, you know, just 
we mentioned it earlier in the interview, just how kind of our focus has shifted through the course of the year, how we wanted to take a big step to, you know, we're getting a little greedy now. <laughs> we want to speed this process up. Yeah. We have a very, very, very strong desire, obviously for our own reasons, but, but also for the city of Philadelphia to, to, to bring a Stanley cup uh, home because this organization and, and this city has, has been nothing but uh, amazing. It's been a great move for us. That's for sure. Yeah, and, and you guys have delivered on the home ice a record of 25-6-4. and four. Hopefully we get some uh, home playoff games soon enough, Mike. I, I really appreciate you joining us here on Flyers Daily and giving us the breakdown of Michael Raffle. Just a great guy, too, and uh, success that he's those kind of guys, character players that can really help you in a playoff run. I want you to stay safe, and hopefully you're back here soon and uh, we can get the game back on the ice and get this pandemic under control and we can all move forward with uh, life as per usual. Thanks for doing this, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Hope uh, you and everybody else out there are staying safe. And, and like you said, let's get, let's get back to it soon. Special thanks to Mike Yo taking the time to join us here on Flyers Daily. Tremendous insight on the player and person that Michael Raffle is for the Philadelphia Flyers. And also thanks to Carter Hart joining us earlier in this episode as well. Player profiles will continue next week. Sean Couturier will join be our player profile on Monday. Robert Haig on Wednesday. Derek Grant on Friday. Followed by the uh, the next week with Shane Gossesbear, Joel Farabee, and Tyler Pitlick. And then Jake Voracek, Phil Myers, and Claude Giroux the week after that. As player profiles continue... Plus, a lot of guests still to come. Still have Wade Allison set to join us here on Flyers Daily. Also, Wyatt Wiley and many, many others. So check it out each and every day. Any episodes that you missed, uh, perhaps you missed the player profiles of Scott Lawton, Justin Braun, Nicholas Albe-Kubel, Travis Sanheim, James Van Riemsdyker, Matt Niskanen, or Carter Hart and, uh, or Travis Konechny earlier this week. Well, they're all there in the queue for you. Just click those and check out past episodes as well. And again, leave us a rating and review and make sure you subscribe to Flyers Daily as well as we continue to count down the days from when we had the last Flyers and NHL game to the next Flyers and NHL game. We just don't know what that date is that we're counting down to just yet. Everybody, have a great weekend. Stay safe. I appreciate you listening to Flyers Daily. Stay safe, and thanks for listening. And when I wake up in the morning Feel the day break on my face There's a blood that's flowing through the feeling With a knife to open up the sky's veins Some things will never change They stand there looking backwards Half unconscious from the pain They may seem rearranged In the backwater swirling There is something that'll never change I should have been